Welcome to Equus Farm Calls, where we take horse owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. Today, we're talking to Dr. Angela Pelzel-McCluskey about equine infectious anemia, which a lot of you know as EIA. The Equus Farm Calls podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Farnham. A shiny coat and luxurious mane and tail are a reflection of overall health that starts with proper nutrition. Revolutionize your grooming routine from the inside out with Farnham Laser Sheen Skin and Coat Supplement. This exclusive formula combines a proper balance of omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, amino acids, vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants to maintain optimal skin and coat health. Nourishing ceramides maximize skin hydration by retaining moisture and forming a protective layer for a velvety soft coat. Formulated by nutritionists, Laser Sheen's proprietary blend delivers a show-stopping shine, supple skin, and healthy mane and tail growth. It contains a probiotic and is formulated in a palatable extruded nugget to support the digestion of nutrients. Whether you're at a show, on a trail, or riding at the barn, Laser Sheen Skin and Coat Supplement can help your horse make a lasting impression with a radiant coat and flowing mane and tail. Feed it year-round and watch your horse bloom. I'm Kim Brown, the group publisher of the Equine Health Network. Dr. Pelzel McCluskey is a national equine epidemiologist for the USDA's Animal Plant Health Inspection Service in Veterinary Services. She is based in Fort Collins, Colorado. Dr. Pelzel McCluskey currently oversees the federal response to reportable equine disease outbreaks nationwide and has been the lead epidemiologist in more than 30 large-scale state, regional, and national disease outbreak responses during her combined state and federal service. Thank you, Dr. Pelzel McCluskey, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls to talk about equine infectious anemia. Thanks so much for having me today, Kim. Well, let's start out, and I'm sure everybody, every horse owner's heard of EIA, but what exactly is equine infectious anemia? Sure, Kim. So equine infectious anemia is a disease of horses that's caused by a virus. It's called the EIA virus, and it's transmitted mostly by biting flies, and it's bloodborne. So the biting flies suck up the blood from an infected horse, and they fly over to another horse and bite it on that horse and then transmit through the blood. Okay. And I know that we have a control program for EIA in this country, and it's reportable. So can you tell us a little about that and what that means? Sure. So EIA has been a longstanding control program in the U.S., and we mainly control it by testing horses as they do various things in their life, as they move interstate, as they go to events, as they change ownership, for example. And the testing ensures that you have a negative horse that's um, moving through these different venues and, and life changes. And we've had this since the 1970s, since the Coggins test was developed by Leroy Coggins in the 1970s. It's a very successful program and we're able, able to quickly identify positive horses and manage them appropriately. I know that the history of it is we had seen years and years in my lifetime as a horse owner of lower and lower instances of where we found positive horses. But suddenly in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, we're seeing a huge bump in the number that we're seeing. Why has this changed? 
Yeah, that's exactly what's happening, Kim. So from the 1970s through, I would say, the late 1990s, early 2000s, the uh, decline of positive horses was occurring. We had lots and lots of testing, and we still do, but we were finding fewer and fewer horses over time as we were implementing the control program. I think one of the problems is um, our neighboring country, Mexico, doesn't have any testing or EIA control programs. And so we're consistently at risk of EIA coming from our south. And we do test horses that are coming from Mexico when they're officially presented for import. But as you know, our, our borders are very porous and we do have horses that are moving illegally. So that's a source of potential continued infection for us. The epidemiology though is, is really what's changed over time. So when we used to be finding horses in untested or under-tested populations as the control program went on uh, and their infection was being spread by these natural transmission biting fly situations, all of a sudden, we started getting about, as you said, maybe 10 years ago, um, cases of iatrogenic transmission. And that's a human-caused transmission by uh, various medical procedures, like reuse of needles and syringes, reuse of IV sets, uh, maybe double dipping into a multi-dose drug vial where you get blood contamination in the drug that you're using. And we get transmission between horses by this human-caused mechanism where the blood is being transferred. Um, that is the majority of our cases that we see now, and that is a preventable cause of transmission. That's poor hygienic practices that need to be corrected with our normal biosecurity that most of your horse owners know how to do themselves. And where are we seeing so much of this? It used to be that we, you were finding these only in certain locations of the country, but now it seems like they're everywhere. What's going on? There's a special population that we're finding this in. There's a very high risk group of horses that we've identified the last 10 years. And these are mainly quarter horse race horses. Um, some of them are involved only in sanctioned racing, but many of them have this spillover into something called unsanctioned or bush track racing. This is essentially illegal racing that is not sanctioned and doesn't have the correct rules and regulations applied to it as your normal quarter horse sanctioned racing does. So the participants in this unsanctioned racing where there are no rules and no drug testing and no oversight happening, that's where we're finding a lot of these cases. And unfortunately, the bush track horses do move back and forth, it seems, into sanctioned races. And so they present another ongoing risk to our sanctioned horse population, which should be cleaner um, than the unsanctioned or bush track horses. And so that's where we're getting this interplay back and forth. But all of that transmission um, by needle and syringe mainly, um, and by overt blood doping. Uh, you may have heard of blood doping as a practice that uh, increases the number of red blood cells going from one animal to another, thereby increasing the amount of oxygen they can carry in athletic endeavors, and it increases their athletic ability yeah. performance. Um, this is the reason why our Olympic athletes train at altitude, right, is to create more of their own red blood cells um, and become more athletically, um, have a more athletic prowess and are able to compete at a higher, higher level. People are doing this by transfusing blood from one horse to another in an attempt to increase their athletic ability. And that blood transfusion between one horse to another um, is also what's transmitting the EIA virus between horses. And you had mentioned that it was a lot, mostly in quarter horses, but you've also said that this has been happening in maybe even some standard breads. 
So we have found some bush track racing that involves standard bred horses, and that's a relatively new discovery. And we're still learning about how widespread that is. I would say the quarter horse bush track industry is much, much larger than any other breed that we see out there. But it is important to note that some of these same unhygienic practices may be happening in these other breeds that contribute to disease spread. And one of the ways that we see these horses, as you have told me when we've had a discussion, is that people want to either buy horses or rescue horses that have come off the tracks, and they take these horses home without doing proper testing or biosecurity. So what's happening there? Sure. I know there's a big push in the U.S., um, the Unwanted Horse Coalition and other groups, um, certainly the rescue groups, um, have made it more popular to um, for owners to try to find horses that are in a stage of life where um, they're at risk for certain welfare or other problems, disease transmission problems or or poor nutrition or poor, poor upkeep, and to help get the horses out of those um, welfare positions and, and get them to a nice long-term home. Um, and while that's wonderful, that's, that's become very popular, um, we do need to advise horse owners that for horses that are coming from um, a dangerous population, whether it's an unsanctioned racing population or just an unknown history of potential disease exposure, horse owners do need to take some extra care and work with their veterinarian to determine what the horse's risk is for certain diseases and make sure that we test for those and, and manage the horse properly, depending on where they're coming from and what they may have been exposed to. So EIA testing, pyroplasmosis testing, other types of testing for bloodborne disease may really be warranted in some of these horses, um, especially if we don't know much about their background or they come from an at-risk background specifically. What are the options if you have an EIA positive horse? Yeah, EIA is a tough one. You do have a couple of options. Um, so one option is um, permanent lifetime quarantine of the horse, at least 200 yards away from other horses. And the reason for that is because they do serve as an ongoing transmission risk by natural fly bite transmission. Um, and what we found is that the certain types of flies that uh, soak up this infected blood while they feed on the horse and, and fly to another horse, um, the virus itself is, is dying on the mouth parts of the fly after they've gone uh, 150 to 200 yards away. So it's a, a desiccation or a drying of the virus on the mouth parts that doesn't allow that virus to survive to be further transmitted. So at least we do have a, a distance where we can prevent this kind of transmission, but the horse can still see other horses and see friends, um, you know, across the way and, and have a good quality of life. So that's one option is the permanent quarantine um, away from other horses to prevent transmission. The other option is uh, humane euthanasia, and that's because we don't have any treatment or cure for equine infectious anemia currently. There is no way to clear the horse of the EIA virus. The virus itself is really similar to HIV in humans, um, and so our ability to actually remove that virus from the horse, we haven't found a way to do that just yet. And how can horse owners try to avoid EIA in their horses? So good hygienic practices, like we've always talked about with your biosecurity, where, you know, you're using clean needles and syringes, or you're only having injections done by your veterinarian. Um, all of your relative um, 
biosecurity practices at a barn or a stable where you're controlling fly populations, you're removing manure, you're making sure you keep your horse in a clean environment. So these infected flies that may be out there are going to be less likely to be capable of transmitting to your horse. All of those are good practices to keep in mind so that we take care of both the iatrogenic transmission possibility, but also of that natural fly bite transmission capability. So that has been some amazing information. Is there anything that you would like to add about EIA and either the control program or the transmission or just things, tips that might help horse owners? So I think it's really important that for every new horse that you acquire, before you acquire that horse, you sit down with your veterinarian and discuss what that horse is going to need to go under your care. Um, and it may be that you may want to have that horse tested for EIA prior to committing to taking the horse, simply to protect the rest of your herd um, or the boarding facility or, or other location where you keep your horse around other horses. The key point here is we want to be able to protect horses from, the, from ever acquiring the infection. Um, and our control program has really done a great job in having a very low percentage of our general population having EIA or carrying EIA. But with these new things that are happening the last 10 years, the change in epidemiology and the ongoing um, risk of incursion, especially from Mexico, our nearby neighbor, you just really want to be careful and take your time in fully evaluating and, and getting input from your veterinarian on what this new horse that you're planning to purchase may need to protect the rest of your herd and, and to protect the horse itself. That's some great advice, and we really thank you, Dr. Pelton McCluskey, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls. And a big thanks to our audience for joining us today. We welcome your input and hope you'll tell your friends about the podcast. And if you have suggestions or comments, feel free to contact me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. 